Hi, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagle. And on this particular episode, we get to bring back one of our guests from previous episodes, John Byron. I like that I get to say, not just returning guests, but an alumni. <laughs> so, John, welcome back to Life Hurts, God Heals. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you all again. And uh, my past experiences in this context have been a joy, and we'll look forward to what is going to happen next. And I would say the same for, for us. It's been a joy to have you on. You have a great heart for God. I've learned a lot from you over the years of being not only with you on this show, but also being in spiritual direction school with you in years past. I love your heart, and I love how articulate you are, how thoughtful you are, and it's been a pleasure every time that you've come on the show. Thank you very much. As I was praying about particular topics for this season of Life Hurts, God Heals, one of the topics was the journey that we all go through, those of us who follow Jesus, that there are steps along the journey. And uh, I thought of the book when you were one of the instructors for the Spiritual Direction School that you had us read, The, the Critical Journey. I'd never quite read anything like that book before. Mm-hmm. And talking about like breaking up the journey of walking with Jesus in different steps. So I thought of you and how it would be great to have you back and sharing some of the things that you taught us I think we have to recognize that the spiritual life has many moments of miracle and many moments that could be described as instantaneous wow moments, okay? Mm -hmm. But that being said, spiritual life tends to be a process. And when you think of process, you think of beginning and you think of end. And to talk about that Oftentimes, we get consumed with getting people going and getting to the end. Right. But the most of life is all that in-between space. So to talk about journey is to talk about all that in-between space. Mm. And to talk about some of the ways that we encounter spirituality in that journey, I think it helps. To some degree, we're looking for guides. We're looking for people that will help us navigate mm-hmm. through all the different parts of a journey. And so I'm as comfortable as I am knowing that I need navigation. I need help. Yeah. So whatever I have that's there, if it can be made available and if it's helpful, that's great. First of all, would you mind telling people like a little bit about the book, the authors and, and what it's about, the critical journey that is? Critical Journey was written by a, uh, Hagberg and Gulick, and it, it basically talks about stages within the spiritual life, stages in the Christian spirituality, stages of what we might describe as growth. It mapped out to some degree what the spiritual journey might look like. In fact, it, what it mapped out was in some ways, what most people go through when they experience the spiritual journey. There is a caveat to that in that (laughs) 
there are any places along that journey where you can, in a sense, resist or step out of what's going on. And so if we consider that the journey that we have, the spiritual journey that we have in Christ is one that is interactive, that we are in some ways interacting with a God that initiates with us, a God that is personally involved with us and connects with us. And just like any kind of relationship, you have times where you may decide, this is not where I want to go. This is not what I want to do. This is not the way I want to be. And you can step back from that relationship. This relationship is intrusive. It's uh, overwhelming. There's more here than I can deal with. And in those moments, we make choices. One of the good pieces of news in that is is that no matter where we go, God sees us. Mm. He knows where we are on this journey. And as much as we may decide that we're going to take a, a, a left turn instead of a right turn when he's saying, follow me in this path, he still knows where we are and still cares for us and still extends love to us in all those places of our waywardness. Mm. And so that's good news. But if you are seeking to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, someone that is walking with him in this journey, then, you know, you're going to experience different things and you're going to mature over that time. You will start out with a little bit of information and that information will grow. You'll start out with a little bit of understanding and that understanding will grow. You'll start out with a little bit of closeness and relationship, and that closeness will grow as you continue to walk with Jesus. But also, you will walk with Jesus through all the circumstances of your life, and those circumstances are like incessant curveballs uh, <laughs> in that you can't necessarily always predict where they're going to come. And so you basically realize that you had an idea that this is the way life was going to look and how it was going to play out. You had plans. You had agendas. And all of a sudden you're realizing that some of those things aren't happening the way you thought. Uh, some of those things aren't occurring in the ways that you would have wanted them to occur. And so the journey, as much as it is following Jesus, the reason you follow Jesus, the reason you want to stay close is because there are a lot of twists and turns on the path. And he's going to lead you through those as opposed to you just stumbling blindly along and falling off the edge of a cliff. So you stay close. You walk this journey. You walk a path. And in that, there are twists and turns in it. And sometimes those can be incredibly frustrating to how you process things. And they can make you feel at times like, is this really the way? Seriously, is this the way? So for most of us, we're in the season of Lent right now, at least as we're recording this. And for a lot of people, the idea of suffering is the thing that they came to Jesus about. They said, Lord, I want to follow you because you're going to prevent all the suffering in my life from happening. You're going to somehow help me to avoid pain. And the very nature of Lent teaches us is that if we follow Jesus, we are following a path that leads to a cross, mm. that leads to a place of death. 
that is not an easy concept to wrap your head around or your emotions around. I mean, at least it's not for me. I struggle with the idea of death every day. And it can be as big as the actual physical death, or it can just be the existential realities of death. Death of dreams, death of agendas, death of plans, death of whatever. Those kinds of things are not necessarily easy. And if it helps you at all, I'm not sure they were easy for Jesus either. Right. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus prays, he doesn't pray, you know, Father, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I am so waiting just to hang on a cross and have nails put through my wrists and my feet and ankles. And this is so exciting to be able to do that. And really, uh, I kind of take pleasure in that kind of pain. I'm not sure that was what Jesus is praying. In fact, what we read is, is that he prays, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, please do that. But he follows with that statement, not my will, but thy will be done. And when we walk this journey, we're walking with someone that has surrendered his life to the plan of his father. We, in a sense, to walk into that kingdom with him, into that place of the new life he has promised, we got to walk the path that he walks. The entrance is not different for us than it is for Jesus. <laughs> right. It is still through the cross. The beauty is, is that that overwhelming sense of abandonment or separation from God that he experiences at the cross, he has taken upon himself for us. It doesn't mean that we don't have to suffer. It doesn't mean that we won't go through suffering. It just means that that sense of abandonment, that sense of forsakenness that Jesus screams from the cross is not the experience that we have to have. Now, we may feel forsaken at times, but we are not experiencing what Jesus does in the same way. We are, in a sense, joining him with him in that place, and the suffering that he has suffered, we are taking on ourselves. And it is the very thing that, in a sense, unites us to him, and in a sense, takes us into that place of redemption that we so desperately need. The journey is not necessarily always easy. So when we think about stages in the journey, typically we think of stages in terms of progression. And they are, to some degree. For the monastics, they used to talk about a trellis oftentimes as kind of the moving up of the vine up a trellis. Or they would talk about a ladder. And they talk about the rungs of the ladder and moving up the ladder. We are probably more attuned to say stages because that kind of fits our vocabulary. The images of the others oftentimes are helpful to us. But we, you know, we talk about stages of, in psychology, they have stages of development, developmental stages. In spirituality, we talk about kind of the stages of the journey that are somewhat typical of every believer. Those broad kinds of statements oftentimes make us cringe a little bit. We like to think we're unique, that we're not the same, that, you know, we're special. <laughs> that may have been your experience, but it wasn't mine. But in general, these stages of journey tend to be things that everyone, at least in some way, has an experience of. 
wouldn't you say though that it's a both and that we, there's there's um, connecting points for all of us and we are also unique and special. Oh yeah, how we experience the stages, I think that's very unique to us, hmm. unique to our personalities and to who we are. So yes, we are unique. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, it's not like God just had a plaster cast and made 4,000, you know, John Byron's out there that all are the same. You know, my personality, the way I encounter things, the way I process information, all those things have a uniqueness about them because of how great the creator is and the variety with which he can act. So that's true. The stages just give me reference points to my own experience, so to Mm. speak. They help me process my experience, and so they generally kind of are like a lens that I can see my experience through and find various places of identification. I can see that, that this is part of that stage. I think we are unique, and the stages, in a sense, help us see some of the ways we are interacting with God. So before we jump into the stages... One of the questions that came to my mind, especially as you were talking about suffering, which is really what a lot of the times what this particular show is all about, right? Life hurts, right? God heals. Yeah. Yeah. But we really don't like the idea of suffering. So I think maybe before we jump into the stages, and there is a lot of suffering that happens in our, in, in our journey with Jesus because it happened to him. But before we get into that, the question that rises up is, what's the point? And so before we get into the stages, it really, it's important to know the end goal, right? Where we're going, especially when there's hardship involved. Like we need to know where we're headed because we need the hope that there's mm-hmm. something, right? Yeah. So it's just from your experience and the wisdom that's come as you've walked this journey with Jesus, what is the point of this journey. Where uh, are we heading and what's this all about, really? Why isn't it a straight shot to the moon kind of thing, you know? You know, why so many twists and turns? Why the frustration? Why the disappointment? Why pain? What's it all yeah. for? First of all, to your point, I think we need to remember that there is a place that we are intended to be, and that's in the presence of the one who loves us completely. Hmm. There is a place that we are intended to go, and that's in the realm that is defined by that loving presence. And that is a place that in the book of Revelations, if you look in chapter 21, it describes as a place that there is no more suffering. There is no more pain. There are no more tears, at least tears of pain and suffering. It is a place that is new and that there is life and that God gives life in that place. And oftentimes, I think when we are in pain, we think like life is ending. And, you know, we cling to life because we were meant for life. Now, the kind of life we cling to is part of what is going on here. I think to some degree we have gotten accustomed to a life in this world. And if we look at say, the concept of evolution, and I am not an evolutionary scientist or biologist, so I don't understand all the concepts of it, but to my very limited understanding, evolution is always talking about adaptation, 
and how the species adapts as time goes on to what the environment calls for. And I think when Genesis begins and God creates, I think there is a perfect creation in which he intends humanity to exist in. When humanity decides that there's fruit on the tree that looks better than what God has provided for them, and they want to go after that, when they think their way is going to be better than God, it sets them apart. It puts them in a place of resistance and puts them in a place of separation. When that happens, all of a sudden, you have man not in the context he was meant to be in. You have humanity in the place not that they were created for, but you have them in a, in a context now that actually is sort of toxic to what they were created to be. And in that, they are beginning to adapt. They are evolving and adapting in that toxic environment. In the context of death, in a, in a world of death and pain. And they are adapting to that kind of atmosphere. Well, all of that adaptation is going on and that toxicity. So we continue to adapt and we be, continue to become more accustomed to this toxic environment. It becomes reality for us. Now you come to the kingdom of God and you have a whole lot of people that they've breathed their whole life in the toxic environment. And now you're going to take them into an environment where they have to breathe a different atmosphere. You go into a room filled with carbon monoxide, you're going to begin to cough because it isn't air. But if that's all you know, if all you've breathed all your life is carbon, carbon dioxide, flip it. Now mm. you step into air and you're coughing like crazy because this isn't what you're used to breathing. And it's painful. It's weird. When a baby is born, it's born in a fluid, developing inside of a fluid. Now all of a sudden you take it out. We always kind of think, well, isn't it funny how they hit the baby and kind of get that fluid out, and he screams and cries. And, and the baby is struggling at that moment. He's struggling to find the liquid again when he was meant to breathe in that other atmosphere. He wasn't intended to live in that fluid all his life. But given a choice of being in pain from having to breathe that other stuff, the baby might sit there and say, this is really comfortable here. I'm fed all the time, insulated, I'm warm, it's a, like a bath in here, 98.6, and now all of a sudden, you know, you've pulled me out into a place where it's cold out here, it's freezing, and it's not 98.6, in fact, they refrigerate this operating room so it feels like it's about 40. Now I'm trying to breathe in this stuff that doesn't feel anything like I'm used to, and it's hard. If we imagine the spiritual life as a long process of beginning to learn to breathe the atmosphere of God, it's hard. Mm. And so yeah. suffering oftentimes mm. is our response of having been breathing in one adaptive element of air and having been transitioning into a new adaptive element of air. And mm. so the atmosphere we are moving into is the atmosphere of Jesus. And that's different than the atmosphere of this world. So just in a practical way, it, the longer we attach to Jesus, the more custom we become to that atmosphere. But it doesn't mean that, you know, we still can't revert and move into the old atmosphere and feel like, boy, this is so, I remember this. This is nice. I liked this because it just appealed to me at that moment. It was all I knew. And now I've experienced the atmosphere of Jesus. And all of a sudden I realize my lung capacity is developing different when I'm with Jesus. 
I'm breathing something that's actually life-giving to me. I'm breathing something that when I breathe it in, it's not like breathing in asbestos Mm. and getting cancer from it. I'm breathing something in that's actually good for me because it's the kingdom, because it's Jesus. But it means that I'm along the way, I'm probably at some places where it isn't easy to take a breath here. It's more comfortable just to breathe in the old stuff. When Jesus talks in John chapter 14, and he says, I am the way, the truth, yeah. and the life. And, and what you've been sharing is we've been breathing in death. And Jesus says now, breathe in life. And, and though it is good as a shock to the system, to believe that we have to breathe in this thing called life that is him. Also, John 17, 3, Jesus prays and says, this is eternal life. This is life to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Right, yes. And as I'm listening to this, the word that comes out to me, John, is the word acceptance. This is a year for me of learning to accept Jesus every day. Yeah. I do a six-day silent retreat every year and. The thing that God highlighted to me is coming back again in this moment. And it's like, Kurt, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. But just like the first time that I accepted Jesus and his sacrifice for me, the thing that you talked about he was wrestling and about to enter into when he wrestled in the garden of Gethsemane, the thing that I have to accept about myself before I can accept Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is that I am a finite creature of the creation. And in so accepting that fact that I don't know everything, that in fact my perspective is very narrow, then I can accept what Jesus says and listen to his truth and walk in it as a worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth. The only way I can depend on the Spirit for the truth is accepting first my own finiteness Mm. as a creature. And that is a daily struggle because the air that I breathed before I came to Jesus was one of pride, Uh which leads to insecurity and shame and death. I want to be the one who is the Lord of all I survey and have the ability to call the shots. But when I do, I find that burden that I take upon myself is too much for me. And the pride of wanting that which is only God's realm, the kingdom is his, and it is his to call the shots. And when I try to carry that kingdom on my own shoulders and be the king, I'm crushed by the weight of it all. And I have to let that go and accept the humility of being a creature so that I can accept what he says again today and let today be another day of salvation, of redemption, as you said it. Yeah. It's that place of I'm in control or he's in control. And every day I awaken to that impulse in me to say, this is a day that I have made and I'm going to rejoice in what I'm doing. And God is saying, no, 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 this is the day I've made, and you get to rejoice and be glad in it. So if we look at this analogy of breathing and the atmosphere, suffering, part of the suffering, is this learning to breathe differently. 
learning to breathe in a different atmosphere and the pain that that causes us along the way. So I think that's part of what suffering is about. It's this detachment from the old atmosphere to the new atmosphere, and detachment is never easy. If it's detachment from my pride, if it's detachment from my sense of control, if it's detachment from the stuff I have that makes me feel secure, if it's detachment from the relationships I have that make me feel happy about life or whatever it is, whatever those places that I get way attached to that keep me from further attachment to Jesus and his atmosphere are those very things that are pulling at me. And that in itself is painful. Mm -hmm. Saying goodbye to those things or at least waking up every day and saying, okay, today's a new day where I have to address the attachments in my life and have to be willing to say no. When we look at suffering, we kind of look at the big things. I've got cancer. I'm suffering in pain, physical pain. So we look at the disappointments. We look at those, you know, major life events and that are difficult and things like that. And those become suffering. But every day there is a suffering going on that we're saying no to one thing so that we can say yes to something else. When someone takes a fast, okay, mm -hmm. when you go on a fast, you basically are depriving yourself of something so that you might embrace something else. Well, if you like the thing you're saying no to, that's never easy. And therefore, there's tension. And therefore, there's frustration. And therefore, there's disappointment. And therefore, there's suffering that is attached to those things. The point is that along this spiritual journey, the more that we breathe in the atmosphere of Jesus and the more accustomed we come, become to that atmosphere, the more that becomes life-giving to us and the less prone we are to step back into this atmosphere of the old life and feel like it was, it's still the greatest thing ever. <laughs> we begin to see it for what it is. Mm. We see it as oftentimes a gift that we have somehow twisted around into some sort of God and made it into something that is essential to our life when really what is essential is this other atmosphere. To some degree, it's the atmosphere of death because we are in a world, a system, that is in perpetual decay. And in that perpetual decay, I am perpetually decaying, which as much as I want to push back the, the hands of time, and, you know, go to the gym and work out and try to save off uh, muscles that are deteriorating or my eyes that can't see the way they did, uh, you know, a hairline that has increased significantly. There is this sense of decay that will happen. Death, in some ways, is a part of life. You can't escape it. But we're meant for life. So now we're in a quandary. We're meant for life. We can't escape death. What do we do? The gospel is Jesus came so that we might have what we were meant for. Mm, life. And to do that, he died on a cross, rose from the grave, and now presents us with a life that is eternal. Wow. Okay. We've just talked about two garden scenes, have we not? Yes. One garden scene where Adam and Eve wrestled within themselves rather than going to God and wrestling with God. And in their own finite thinking, 
decided that these things that the enemy was telling them about God and themselves and what they could have, that they would not die if they took this fruit of the of the tree of good and evil, right? The, yeah. the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they wouldn't die. And they accepted that. And they brought death into the world. And then we have another garden scene, Gethsemane, that you mentioned, where yeah. Jesus wrestled with the yeah. Father. And in so doing, rather than figuring this out on his own, he put it in the Father's hands. Not my will, yeah. but yours be done. I don't want to do yeah. this, but I will do whatever you say is best because I trust you to show me yeah. what's best. And in that moment, he was ministered to and strengthened. And in so doing, Adam and Eve in the beginning, they carried us all into death with them. And Jesus also carried us into death, but not to leave us there. He carried us through death, yeah. right? Psalm 23, though I walk yeah. through the valley of the shadow of yeah. death, I will fear no evil. Through the valley into new life, into the life we are always meant to have. Well, some would describe life as a terminal disease. The difference, I think, when we come to Jesus and we trust him, and we begin to recognize that this is an amazing event when he dies on the cross, takes all of that sense of separation upon himself, and then rises from the dead and walks out of a tomb into new life. When we make that our own, when we take that in faith and say, this is the truth, it changes that sense of Death being a door that is closed to death being a door that is open that we walk through. And mm -hmm. so when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the door, you know, I am the door of the sheep, all those images to some degree allow us to say there is an openness because of Jesus to the Father that we did not have when we were trying to get there on our own. God came to us. God initiated with it. God started relationship. But for us, into his presence required his initiative and his work to make a door, to make a door through a cross, through the very thing that we all desperately want to escape, mm. which is death. So to make that transition, to some degree, we have to embrace the idea that, yes, this life is changing in a way that the atmosphere is less and less friendly to who we are. But there is a door. There is a door and through that door comes the wind of the Spirit that allows us to live in this life with a taste and a glimpse of that other side of the door. Like, how do we resuscitate people, right? Yeah. What is it that is truly animating to us when we begin? It's the fact that God breathes into us the breath of life. Which we call the Spirit. And, and to some degree, what happens at the fall or what happens at the garden when they eat from the tree is they, they choose a different atmosphere. They choose rather than the breath of God, they choose the evil one and this kingdom that is going to end. And in Jesus has ended. This journey that we're on, we often talk about it as what we have to add to our life. In this context and in this perspective, we're talking about really what needs to be taken out. Like we have these attachments to the things of this world, which as we attach to it and they end, we're being attached to death and being dragged along with them into death. And so this is a journey of subtraction, 
of detachment. To some degree, yeah. To some degree, you are looking at a life where if I continue to keep my security in this life, then every loss becomes something that pulls me further away from what I want. Mm. Whereas in Christ, every loss in this world has the potential, the opportunity to pull me closer to the kingdom that Jesus is making for me. And to breathe that atmosphere of life. And to breathe that atmosphere. This is a great place for us to stop and wrap up part one in our discussion on the stages of the journey of following Jesus. Next time in part two, we will continue the discussion by talking about the first few stages that we all go through on our journey of following Jesus. Until then, thank you so much for listening to Life Hurts, God Heals. And always remember, you are God's beloved, so be loved.